Staying creative between beauty and chaos in Rio de Janeiro. Directed and produced by Vivian Kakuri. Additional songs by Thiago Lennis. time. It's true. Natural beauties, beaches, rivers, mountains, and also a very huge social clash. landscape of the city, uh, those places. When you go up on the hills, on the favelas, on the rich areas, you have uh, uh, another reality. Picking on this idea from Joseph Boyce that every person is an artist, I think in, in Rio we have that in so many ways because this improvisation need all the time, you know, the, what we named gambiarra, it's like all these um, creative ways of finding solutions that I mentioned. There's so many parallel realities, like uh, all of a sudden you can find out that there's a huge parallel market economy going on that you never heard of in the favelas. We live in this uh, situation of hell and paradise, paradise, paradise. But there are people who are allowed to leave the paradise and others who are denied to leave this paradise. Paradise, paradise, paradise. The beach is a very pleasant place. Order shop. Order shock. <laughs> Order shock. Pineapple. Shrimps. Lemonade. Corn. Ice cream in a bag. Bikini. <laughs> Lollipops. Rolling paper. Sunscreen. Beautiful butts. The beach is a very pleasant place. Cigarettes. Speakers, even speakers. Yeah. Sunglasses. 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 of the city, but uh, 
And how somehow to bring this paradise even to the places where it's not possible or not usually seen as a, as a place to offer these uh, pleasurable experiences. I feel the same, but the same every day, it turns into different. My daily life, my common life, it's better when I have a day that I have to do nothing and I keep, yeah, and I keep on doing nothing. I feel the same. Yeah. That's the principle of my art. You wake up in the morning and, and go to swim in the sea, and, and then it's like that. You have nothing to do and keep on doing nothing. Yeah. It's like that you open a poetry book, a book of poetry, and you climb in a poetry tree, yeah, and you... in one of these branches there's a beautiful fruit and you eat it, and then you stay in the hammock. And I feel the same, but the same every day. Turns into different. I feel the same, but yeah. Reading poetry and eating the fruits of the poetry tree, uh, it's uh, it's like that. It makes me slip in the hammock and slipping in the hammock. I dream. I do not really like to work. I don't think work makes a man more honorable or not, you know? I like to tell you that I have many, many craziest days in my life. Not only one, ah. not only one. I thank God you, I thank you. I thank God you, I thank you. God bless me with many, many craziest days in my life. I, my day uh, starts uh, very early. I usually woke up at six or seven o'clock. I drank my turmeric and propolis and lime shot. And then my green juice. After that, I, I usually like to go to do my exercise at the Aterro do Flamengo, a beautiful place uh, close to my home. 
and and then I go back home and start to do my works and all the months that I have to do like that. We don't have a lot of uh, black uh, people working in the fashion industry. Now we have a different scene and I think a lot of things is, is changing. But when I started like seven years ago, we don't have this scene that we have now with a lot of black people and black brands. And I think it was not, on, not only just for the models and it was like the whole concept about the fashion. It was not something that, that include us, black people, in the scene. start I, I have always in my mind that I have to put a black model in my shoes. I, I don't make like uh, clothes for just black people. I make clothes I love to, to make designers and pieces but it's I, I want to make some clothes that my, my people the black people feel comfortable to to wearing and feel satisfied and inspired by uh, that was created by a black woman, you know. To listen to a tradition significantly different from those to which you were exposed, you would have to go to a place where you would be among strangers, right? And that's something we've learned to take for granted in modernity and in cities, but it's not part of humans uh, uh, until we stopped being nomads, right? Until we essentially started to move cities and, and, and be among strangers all the time. This whole sort of cultural geography to sound that you couldn't separate from the development of certain musical uh, genres. People couldn't actually think of the sound and the dance as separate entities, right? Because they always came together, right? So in this way, cities become platform for chance encounters and sort of the laboratories for musical experimentation. Rio had more enslaved Africans than any other city in the world for much of its 19th century history. And it was, of course, also a city with a lot of um, Europeans and a lot of native-born peoples. And each of these people sort of brought with them very, very different musical heritages and traditions.
And in Rio's case, which is which was already an extraordinarily divided city along racial, uh, social, and economic terms, you know, if you're a, a wealthy person or an intellectual or an aristocrat or whatever, if you're interested in these sounds, you got to be there, right? Yeah, you know, samba was criminalized like blackness was criminalized and poverty was criminalized, right? So the the, the vision for the future of Eurocentric Brazilian elites in the early 20th century was essentially to turn Rio into a Paris in the tropics. So you had urban reforms that sort of modeled after Paris that had laws like you know, you're not allowed to be here unless you're wearing a coat. This in a tropical city, right? It's sort of like almost a Victorian dress code. Or if you're not wearing shoes. Um... Samba is an affirmation of life in a country that's shaped by some very violent ideas. But even then, I mean, even in the face of horror, life affirms itself. And that's Samba to me. You know, is there something in Samba formally that would lend itself to how you know, wildly successful it was in the uh, uh, 20th century or in the first half of the 20th century. I mean, it, it's hard for me to answer that because I just, I love samba. I can't imagine a world without samba. <laughs> samba spreads so successfully because it's extraordinary, because it's great. Once, once samba becomes part of this sort of you know, musical star system, then I think the racial cleavages become much more evident, right? Because you have white musicians that are, you know, essentially becoming celebrities and, and making a lot of money out of these musical genres. And then you have mostly black musicians that are, you know, uh, doing the compositions or in the background and not financially benefiting nearly as much from the commercialization of the genre. combination of time and space. My favorite place 
is a combination of time and space. My favorite place is a combination of time and space. It's a big line. We are living a big life since uh, 600 years. And nobody has the ability to think about it and to, to fight against this. Come on. My favorite place is a combination of time and space. The older I get, I'm, I'm more sensible about this topic, about the ecological topic. And we are so surrounded by nature in the city. Even though the Mata Atlantica, for example, is almost completely destroyed here. We have some focus of Mata Atlantica in the city of Rio, but very few imagine that everything was about this before, you know. And now I live in Laranjeiras and my house is very close to a hill and I have, I, I'm in touch with many uh, birds, animals, I have some monkeys trying to come into my home. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking more about this, you know, and for me, uh, when you arrive, when you get into these old uh, buildings, old colonial places in Rio or in other parts of the, the, the other cities of Brazil, you, you realize that it's all about wood, you know, it's all, it's everything is built by or with wood. It's disgusting. It's They are racist, they are homophobic, they, they use their religion to manipulate poor people, they want to destroy everything, they want to sell the whole country, they don't give a damn to the nature, they don't give a damn to the originary uh, people from Brazil. I cannot explain uh, the feeling I have when I think about it, you know. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this aesthetics because it's aesthetics too, you know. It's all about aesthetics. They have this horrible aesthetic. It's everything horrible about them. So I, I cannot be inspired by this. I want to talk about beautiful things, great things, not horrible things. So I'm from Favela. Favela in Rio. 
it's in a dangerous place. The first time I, I went to Europe, I was so happy and interested because it was the first time I was outside of Brazil. I was so happy and, and curious as well. I don't know, it was, was really, really nice. Nice time, nice moment to discover other things, you know. I was so, so, so happy in that time. I was discovering more of myself because uh, I was completely alone and at the same time not. So I was discovering more about myself because I was really, really alone with nobody. You can, you can find more about yourself when you're happy or really, really sad about any situation. Uh, I, I never felt like that. So that's why I, I, I will never forget that kind of feelings the first time. here so far away from my my house and it was nice as well hard and and also nice you know i think that the uh, rio is a spiritual city not in a way connected to a religious feeling of, a, of Christianity or something like that, but more connected to the body, to the to this feeling of this beat of the beat of samba. Rio is definitely a spiritual place. Like uh, I think the the landscape already inspires it in so many ways. source of embarrassment for a lot of rich, wealthy, Eurocentric Brazilians, but it, in many ways it won over, right? So a lot of the urban spaces that were designed to, to keep out Black Brazilians and poor Brazilians became the spaces that are now used for street blocos, right? That are now central to 
you know, sort of grassroots uh, uh, samba during carnival. Between Beauty and Chaos in Rio de Janeiro. Featuring Opa Vivara, Cabello Cobra Coral, Thais Delgado, Bruno Calvalo, Sabrina Fidalgo, Thiago Lenis. Directed and produced by Vivian Kakuri. Additional songs by Thiago Lenis. Co-produced by Noriant and Goethe Institute. My name is Daniel Lima Verde, and you are listening to a bonus talk episode for Time Zones, a production by Norient and the Goethe Institute. This is a conversation with the artist Vivian Kakuri, who produced the Time Zones episode focused on Rio de Janeiro. If you haven't listened to this previous episode, you may want to check that out later. I can recollect really well the first time I met Vivian Kakuri. That was almost seven years ago, in 2014. One of the reasons I can recollect it is because that happened just a day after my birthday. 
The other reason is because Vivian gifted me an experience. We spent more than eight hours walking around 20 kilometers with a group of 15 strangers from 8 p.m. to around 5 a.m., just walking around and listening to night sounds, noises, and ambiences from the neighborhoods I was raised in Rio de Janeiro. Talking during the entire walk was forbidden. The name of this project was properly called Silent Walk. From the beginning of the evening to the crack of dawn, the group didn't spoke a word from the moment we met to the moment we waved goodbye. And that actually worked out quite gracefully. I'm a sound artist myself, and I felt humbled to unveil the most interesting sounds around the places I grew up in. But I wasn't able to notice on my daily basis in the city until that night that I took a walk with Vivian. When me and Vivian recently met for recording this interview, we didn't spend our time silently. We talked consistently about Rio de Janeiro. So I think that's how when you start to understand this kind of thing, like how this city impacts the way I am. And I can tell from my own experience. And I think that's the case with Rio. So I'm actually from Sao Paulo, but I've been living my whole adult life in Rio. People don't even remember that I'm from Sao Paulo. I came to Rio, I, you know, I moved. When was that? I was 20. I had just finished college. My first weeks living here, I can remember very well, you know, the first days and... So that was the moment that the city was being tattooed on your mind? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first time that I felt the tattoo, <laughs> I was high on weed and I had to go somewhere else, like another neighborhood. And then I was just seeing like the neighborhood pass by on the window. And I was like, man, I love, I love this place. That, I mean, all the rest is completely like you raise and smudge the weed, <laughs> something that we have to take into account that, you know, it made me love Rio. But really, I felt like, wow, this is, it's full of plants. It's full of vegetables. You know, it's like, it's alive. And in Sao Paulo, I had this super industrial, even though the Sao Paulo seems to be, I'm not sure how much, but seems to be a little safer than Rio, people are constantly afraid. They are in full fear most of the time. And in Rio, it's kind of the way opposite. And it gets to my nerves sometimes when people are like too used to violence. So they don't get shocked anymore. And I feel that it's okay to, you know, let go of fear so you don't become a neurotic person. But then when you just start losing the importance of what's going on, then I think it's... You become numb, right? Yeah, I become numb. It's like uh, you start like laughing about tragedy. Yeah. And this is stuff that I usually don't think it's so cool, you know, in Rio. It's maybe because we had to become a little bit numb to just co-live with violence, you know. Do you think this is a defining trait to people that live their life in Rio? I mean, how do you think the design of a city or lack thereof affects people? Because when we talk about Rio, 
we are talking about the geography as well. This is a city with a lot of these little silos, you know, like these little pockets of communities because the geography basically limits construction between the sea and the hills. And that's why people start leaving the hills as well. But regarding your Time Zones episode, how did you end about to construct this meta-personality of Rio through the personalities of the people that you interviewed? To say about like personalities, I think it's impossible for me. And I think we are cosmopolitan people that we live multiple cities. We lived in multiple realities and it's hard to define stereotypes when people in Rio are usually much more open to other cities in Brazil than, for example, people in Sao Paulo. Our experience now is cosmopolitan and complex. So that's why it's interesting to get you know, just a few samples of this person and the other person, because then you, you kind of like meet how random it is to be someone. Like if something else happened in your life and you lived in another city, you would be a completely different being. So it's hard to me to say how Rio makes that with people, but it's hard to understand that it does. <laughs> So the podcast is about that. We decided to record this interview somewhere nearby your neighborhood, a place called Largo do Machado. And we can easily sense how this little square of land is just like filled with these uncomfortable feelings. Right now we can see a lot of people asking for food and money on the streets. Even though there's these beautiful landscapes, this is certainly not enough to make someone happy here. Because there is this idea of Rio being a friendly place that seems more like a bait for tourists, you know? Totally. Yeah, it's a cliche to think that we are happier than other cities in the world, than in Brazil as well. But I've been told that I'm too happy when I go, when I go you know, abroad. So maybe that's why we come out as super happy because we express our happiness. Nossa, eu tô toda dolorida. Ontem eu fiz uma mudança no meu ateliê. Cara, ateliê é uma fábrica de criar coisas para você jogar fora, sabe? Puta que pariu. Muito material, né? Muito. Muito. Dessa vez vai sair tipo uma caçamba, eu acho. Sério. So I think that's also related to something anecdotal we just experienced and talked about just today during lunch, which was... <laughs> we didn't previously decided where we were going to eat before we met. <laughs> that's not something that happens in a lot of places in the North Hemisphere, you know? People that live in cold places need to decide where we are eating beforehand. You can't just be walking around the cold to decide where you're going to eat because, you know, it's cold outside. Yeah, we are not worried with choosing stuff beforehand. Decision is something that happens like in, in the moment. That's good for art, I believe, and for music, but for other things, not so much. But, you know, that's what we have. <laughs> You just get used to it. <laughs> how much of it do you think is due to the weather? I mean, how much of our culture and society is a byproduct of warm weather? 
I mean, just look at us, right? We are recording this and it's winter in Rio, but we are wearing light clothing. And for the past decades, there's a consensus in the academy regarding how societies in the north had to develop technologies and tools to deal with severe weather. And that's why these tools and technologies were used to dominate and colonize other societies and so on. We don't have this defined seasonality here. What do we make out of all that heat? Also, I think the academy is also very used to understanding technology that came from the cold, such as like computers. You need cold place to have a computer. Uh, heat has its own technologies as well. The way that we use urban space. And in this episode, I'm talking a lot about Samba. And Samba is only possible because we don't have the winter to ruin the party. It is only possible because of the heat. So, you know, the party can happen anytime. And then that creates a strong community sense, a very strong community feelings and meanings. So that's only because we have urban space free to happen anytime. So maybe that's why we're not so worried with decisions beforehand, because, you know, we know that we won't have winter. Never. <laughs> It's never coming. It's never coming. <laughs> That's interesting. At the same time, I think this is certainly true. I also think that a lot of these narratives are not helpful for our own betterments as Brazilians. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. we are definitely a society moved by stories. We don't have quite a systematic worldview to deal with our problems, right? Most critiques are narrative-based. Things are always explained like, this character did that, and that ruined the country. And then this character came up, and he's the hero. And now he's trying to fix these things. So we don't see things as a system, but as a story. Yeah, I think that's why narratives are so under uh, dispute in Brazil. At least our generation, the only time that we listen to like super aestheticized causes with words and themes is Bolsonaro. Like, what, what, what there was before that? I'm not sure if there was like an aesthetic the way that there is with Bolsonaro. Maybe, I think Samba is something that is more like a cause, you know, and, and Samba is the project and it's the goal. I think all of that is a construction of belongness. I don't think that people are truly belonging to anything. It's all like a whole construction and the narrative of Bolsonaro is so simple. So you can, you know, put everyone in. I think I've never felt that kind of energy, like of being patriots. I think Brazilians are, we are individualistic. But it's a different kind of individualism. We will definitely not die for our country. Yeah, we would not die for... We love our football, though. Yeah, but like these big, big causes, uh, we are in a, our own tropical individualism. And usually when you catch people's attention is when you have a, a good story. And uh, why is that? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. One thing I can say is that this job of hijacking brains was very well done, very well done. Because there are some people that will never come back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little about the music you made for this Time Zones episode. Why you focus on composing baile funk? We can hear that you use some traditional samba instruments as well. Can you explain these musical choices? 
I think it's a very straightforward material kind of problem. Bilifunk is electronic and my means of production are also electronic. For the samba instruments, they were already pre-recorded. You know, it's super hard to gather an amazing samba group to play together in the studio. It's like, it's stuff that used to happen in the 70s. Yeah. And a way to simplify this part of the production for Norint, because I'm not a samba musician. <laughs> yeah, that was why. And also the kind of baile funk that I'm playing, it's definitely, it's not the way that, you know, true baile funk people would do. I think I have another kind of repertoire that it's impossible to get detached from. So it sounds different. It sounds like... It sounds like bass music. It sounds like bass music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's bass music, but for any listeners that are not aware of this, you have this huge body of work that is mainly focused on building sound systems. How do you think this previous research and skills on sound systems influences the kind of music you are making for this episode? What I like about bass and podcast is because bass and voice, they don't compete. They are very like complementary. Every time that you have other kinds of sounds like beats and stuff, and then someone talks, you have either to mix it very well and find like textures and places where you can make the voice come out, or you can simply like just use bass. And another thing is that I mixed the podcast while I was composing and mixing. I used the sound system as a monitor, not the only monitor, but one of them. It's not the way that people listen to music in their everyday lives. But the sound system, it kind of gives you a hint if that's sounding like super cool and danceable. Because if it's something sounds weird in the sound system, it's also not working very well in the, you know, Apple kind of monitors. So there is a very interesting correspondence. The sound system will not make a bad song better. That's how like you know that the feeling of the music, like the most physical parts of the music, they are translating and sounding. I wonder how you went about the creative process for making this piece. You mix this extremely danceable music genre with interview quotes that sound like really poetic and contemplative. It really sounds fresh, like it doesn't sound like any podcast that I ever listened to before. What was your process while doing the interviews that you feature in this piece and how you got this result? Yeah, this is something that I was inspired by Thomas' first episode of Time Zones because I have never listened to anything of that before. Yeah, I think you defined it very well. It's a poetic kind of podcast. So it's more towards poetry than a spoken word. So it was very cool to listen to a story while the story being mixed with the beats and, you know, super loaded feelings and environments and stuff. I was very inspired by that. And it was very easy for me to imagine how I would do it using my city as a theme and then as the material as well. So it went well, you know, it went like, I did not feel that I was doing that with a rational effort. Of course, there are times that you, because we're talking about a lot of drums and percussion, and then there's a lot of stuff that you have to calculate or a more rational mind. But most of it, I think I defined the themes easily. I want this to be more as if we were talking at a bar and trying to get meaning out of it. I 
the feeling of making a podcast is like you have to train your curiosity all the time. And what we can expect to accomplish doing something like that? Can artists help with anything related to our environment? Well, I think it's the way that artists can improve society. It's very limited. We perhaps don't change the things that we dream of changing and will never do. But I think what's nice about like musicians and artists in general is that through them, you understand that there are other ways of living. And I think that's the, the only thing that we can do. Experiment new ways of living and dealing with stuff. I'm not sure how powerful we are to do anything else. But communication is the good thing that artists have to do because, you know, it's a lot of effort to keep it to yourself, so just share it. Tá gravando. After the interview, we took a walk to a nearby park to find some interesting sounds. That was like five minutes from a walking distance from Largo do Machado, the place we recorded the other sounds and where we also did the interview. I don't know what being is doing that sound that you're listening to now. I don't know if those are insects or if those are birds. It's really weird and beautiful. When I met Vivian for the silent walk, she helped me to understand a little bit more about this city. With no words, just sounds. Okay, this sound I know is a car. This recording was captured with teeny sensitive microphones that I asked Vivian to wear inside her ears. Because I really want to learn how to listen to the city. Like she does. A beautiful place uh, close to my home. And, and then I go back home and start to do my works and all the demands that I have to do, like that. This Time Zones bonus talk episode was produced and edited by me, Daniel Mavid, with music by Vivian Kakuri. The Time Zones podcast series is co-initiated and co-produced by Norient and the Goethe Institute. 